the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. I'm down in San Jose broadcasting from my office here in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I plan on going through a number of questions and comments from around the state of California here today. I've been kind of sorting through and doing some pre-show prep and come up with a number of them that appear to have some interesting situations that hopefully will be of interest to you or to someone that you know and love. Now, I will be taking calls today if you'd like to call in. The number is 800-516-1220, like 1220 AM KDOW. So 800-516-1220. I want to let you know that um, I uh, will be doing two Living Trust seminars in August I've decided to do two on the same day, Saturday, August 10th. One will start at 9 o'clock in the morning. And for those of you who like to sleep in on a Saturday morning or like to run errands on a Saturday morning or do something with the family, my second Living Trust Seminar will start at 12 o'clock noon. Both are in my office here in Cambrian Park in in San Jose. You can actually go to my website, at lawbob.com, follow the links to the seminars, and then there's direct links to register for whichever seminar you wish to register register for. <clears throat> or you can go to eventbrite.com and search for Living Trust Seminar and search on August 10th. Um, the first seminar, my 9 o'clock seminar, I just put it up a few days ago, and it's already half-filled. Uh, I can take about 15 people per seminar, and that's why I put up the second seminar for those who um, maybe can't make it to the first one or if the first one gets filled up. I do already have one registration for the second seminar, so don't wait until the last minute if you want to come and get educated about living trusts, about probate and conservatorship, and get educated about asset protection for your heirs, and, uh, and how inheritances are lost, because I think a lot of people might be very surprised at how inheritances can be lost by someone after they have received them. Now, I'm going to go on now and jump right into the mailbox, as it were. By the way, if you have any questions you'd like to have answered on the air, 
uh, and you don't really want to call in because you're nervous about calling in and being live on the radio, I know how that feels. You can always email me at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio, R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B, dot com with your questions because I'll be monitoring that email address uh, during the show and during the breaks as well if you'd like to email a question to me. So here's a question. comes out of Southern California, Escondido. And the person says, Dad's currently receiving rehab after brain surgery and will likely need long-term care soon unless a miracle happens. He has Medicare and Medi-Cal already. I want him to have a home to go to in case he does recover. If I were to buy a home with him, co-buyers essentially, can Medi-Cal take the home away from me in their recovery process? I'd pause right here and say, I don't know how dad is going to be buying a home if he's already on Medi-Cal. That suggests that he does not have any assets at all. And I don't know how he'd buy a home together with his son. But there, um, the son wants to know, if he does that with dad, can Medi-Cal take the home away? Well, let me... Um, basically, a, a straightforward way you can actually own a home and still be on Medi-Cal is if you own a home here in California and you own it inside of a living trust so that the living trust is actually the titled owner of the property with a trustee of the trust uh, who could even be you, uh, but it could be someone else, you know, like this son, for example. If the son wants to buy a home to have a place for dad to go to, the son could buy the home and dad could just come and live in that home and not have it interfere with his Medi-Cal, um, because I assume that he's also using um, maybe Medi-Cal for health insurance as well. If he's uh, going to be using it, if he already has it, that means he'd qualify for long-term care. So the son could could buy the house and maybe provide, put it into a trust, and maybe provide that the trust will continue to maintain the property for his father if, in fact, uh, the son were to pass away before the father. So there's a lot of ways to to handle this, but I think putting the father on as a co-owner of the property, unless you're willing to put the father's interest into a trust that is the father's trust, probably not a good idea. Now here, oh boy, here's a situation. We have a family trust which names each child, three of us, one-third, one-third, one-third. Found out mom sold the house in California and moved to we don't know where. As one of the named beneficiaries, shouldn't I have been notified of any of this? Well, let me pause right there. If by a family trust, what they're referring to is a trust set up with dad's property when dad died for the benefit of the mother and then transferred, and this would be like real estate, transferred into that trust. Generally, what's called a bypass trust or an exemption trust. There's several different names for it. But it would generally be set up to take care of and benefit mom during her lifetime. And if the property's in there, mom is the trustee of that trust. Mom can actually sell the property. And as long as she puts the proceeds of the sale 
back into the bypass trust or actually in the bypass trust, everything's cool. But if mom sells the property and pockets the money, she has violated the terms of the trust. And especially if she moved away somewhere, she's basically embezzled the proceeds of the sale from that trust, meaning that they're not there to pass on to the children when mom dies. So there's not really a specific requirement that a named beneficiary who's not a current beneficiary be notified of any action taken by the trustee of that trust. This person want to know what are their rights. Uh, if, in fact, the house was in an irrevocable trust that ultimately was to go to the children and mom sold the property and pocketed the money in her own pocket, unless the trust provided she could do that, mom is in trouble. Mom can be taken to court. Mom can be forced to turn the money back over. She can have a judgment taken against her if she's spent some of the money. Uh, at the very least, mom should be replaced as the trustee of that trust, unless that's the only thing that was in there, in which case mom basically looted the trust and left town. Um, I don't really know what to do except maybe hire a private investigator to track mom down. Um, if it's truly a bypass trust, mom was supposed to provide a copy of the terms of the trust to the children, showing them that they are beneficiaries and then also letting them know what their rights would be to the property when mom dies. So how do you obtain a copy of the trust? Don't really know unless you can track mom down. Uh, private investigator private investigator may be the only thing that the, the children can do to find their mom and see what she did with dad's property that was put into the trust. That's a very, very bad situation, and it suggests to me that there's not a good relationship at all between the mother and the children. So we're coming up on the end of the first segment today. After the break, I'll be coming back with more questions and comments. You can always call me directly if you'd like to talk on the air at 800-516-1220. So this is Attorney Bob Bergman. I'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on here in the second segment of the show with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, so let's see here. Here's one out of uh, Lompoc, California, or maybe Lompoc. I'm not sure how they pronounce it down there. I had an aunt of mine who was actually uh, the school librarian at one of the high schools down there for a number of years. So I had visited down there before. Kind of a nice area near Vandenberg Air Force Base, if you're not familiar with exactly where it's located. So these people are talking about they have an existing estate plan and on their power of attorney, financial power of attorney and health care directive, they listed each other as the primary person responsible for each other. They then listed their three adult children, but did not indicate any specific order of who would be in charge. Well, if they just listed all three of them together, the presumption might be that all three of them have to serve together. But again, without looking at the documents, it's hard for me to tell 
exactly how it's worded. And I wouldn't necessarily trust a financial institution or a doctor or something to try and interpret what these people meant if uh, one of them was incapacitated and the other spouse was incapacitated or had died already. And so they asked, can we mark up the original documents by putting the word primary beside the name of the child that we've selected and then initial and date the change on the original page of the document? Is this legal? Would you recommend another method? Well, it's probably legal, but my recommendation would be redo the power of attorney, redo the advanced health care directive, and have it say exactly what you want it to say. There's always issues or can be major issues when someone writes all over a document that's already been signed and especially signed and notarized because it has the potential to create an ambiguity um, in what did the person really mean. But the other thing is you're now relying on someone reading it and being persuaded that the change is legitimate and following that change because they don't necessarily know what the law is themselves. So in a case there, if you're going to make a change to a power of attorney, make a change to advanced directive, make a change to a living trust document, by the way. I'll say that. I've had people come in to have me review their trusts, and I'll look at their original document, and they've crossed things out, written things between the lines, and maybe initialed it, maybe dated it, often just crossed things out and changed things. And that is a very bad practice. Uh, It's a very bad practice for the major reason that you could easily delete something that you don't want, but not successfully put into the document what you do want. And, And I say this because even though with the case of a trust, you don't have to have it notarized, if you have the original trust document notarized, an argument could be made that any changes to that document should also be notarized that they have the same level of um, the 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 same level as the original document was was created with the notarization. That's not a strict legal requirement, but between you and me and the wall, I talk to the wall right now. I don't think you want to actually rely on someone marking up the original of their trust document and then hoping that it will actually be easy to interpret the changes that they made. If you want to make a change to something like a trust, you typically would do an amendment to the trust. And if you want to make a lot of changes to a trust, my recommendation is what's called an amendment and restatement. That's basically where you do a whole new trust document that incorporates all the changes you want to make, and you basically completely replace the trust document that you want to make changes to. You replace it with a new one that's called the restatement of the original trust. And I think that's the better practice. It's less confusing when people read it later. They're not trying to figure out necessarily what you meant when you wrote something in and you wrote it in without the benefit of of an attorney's education and expertise in estate planning. Um, Because I see people write things on documents all the time. They know what they mean, but it's oftentimes ambiguous when you read it. I could interpret it 
one of two, sometimes even three different ways because it's not written in a very specific way that very specifically communicates what the person wants in there. Now here, um, this is from San Mateo. How should a trustee of an irrevocable trust handle an IRA with named beneficiaries? Mom and dad had a trust and pour over wills, which are special wills designed to direct property to go into their trust. Dad died. Mom died a few months later. Dad had an IRA with mom named as primary beneficiary and adult children named as secondary beneficiaries. So now that the children are the primary beneficiaries, can the trustee of the trust cash out the IRA and distribute the money to the beneficiaries Or do the named beneficiaries have the right to decide themselves whether they want to cash out their share or open what's called an inherited IRA account? The underlying question is, can the IRA assets be treated by the trustee like any other assets in the trust, or do the named beneficiaries have the right to choose their own options? This is a very straightforward answer. The IRA of the trust has literally nothing to do legally with this IRA that's been described because the IRA has named primary beneficiaries, which means that the trust does not, it's not the beneficiary of the IRA. The pour-over will is irrelevant because because the IRA with named beneficiaries is not a probate asset, which is what a pour-over will would handle. So it's the children that exclusively have the right to decide whether they want to cash out their share of dad's IRA or whether they want to open an inherited IRA account somewhere and then have their respective share transferred into an inherited IRA so that they can continue to have it grow tax-free or rather tax-deferred compounding. And they only have to take what are called minimum distributions out and they can actually have it grow for several more years under the current law. So I think that kind of answers that right there. Now, uh, we're coming up on the second part of the show and the second break of the show, so I'm going to cover one more thing quickly. Here's someone, I want to sell my house, but I have a co-owner. She doesn't want to sell. I allowed her to sign the papers as the co-owner, but I paid my own cash for the house. We can't live together anymore. I want to sell the house and split the profits. She refuses. Can a judge make her sell? Absolutely. This is called a partition action. You basically file a lawsuit, sue the co-owner, and request that the court order the property to be sold, and then the proceeds divided up. If they're not willing to do it uh, peacefully or cooperate with you, you can go to court and actually compel it to be done by the court. So, coming up on the second break, I will be talking with you after the break. You can always call me at 800-516-1220 if you would like to ask me questions on the air. But until then, talk with you after the break. This is Attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. 
I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California, but uh, I do want to let you know if you're just tuning in, I am taking questions on the air at 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Okay, here's um, a question out of Valencia, California. We're filling out a form for a home mortgage, and they want to know about our revocable family trust. They ask the question, what is the manner in which title to trust assets is to be taken? Yeah, that's, you know, that could be very confusing. What that's talking about is if you're applying for a mortgage and you have a family trust or living trust that you're applying with, the manner in which title to assets is to be taken would generally be your name as trustee of the name of your trust and then the trust dated with the date of your trust, like John Jones and Jane Jones, trustees of the Jones Family Trust dated January 1, 2015, or whatever it happens to be. That's what they mean, because they're asking you, how would you like to have the title of the property? In this case, sounds like a property that they're buying How do you want the title taken? And I would say if you have a trust, a living trust, you always want to take the title to real estate that you're purchasing as trustees of that trust. It's amazing how many people have a living trust and then they buy real estate and they take it in their individual name or individual names so that they now have a trust, but they own real estate that's not owned by the trust. And then sometimes the person or the couple passes away, and then the family finds out, oh, my gosh, mom's home that she bought, she didn't put it in her trust when she bought it. And now we have to come to someone like Bob Bergman to help us get it into the trust using mom's pour over will. That's a Hegstat petition, by the way. I, I've talked about those um, off and on over the past several months. Uh, I do those regularly. Uh, here in the Bay Area, I actually do them for families that are throughout the state of California, but I do them here in the Bay Area. I probably am up to now doing three or four of those a month, and I suspect that by the end of the year, I may be doing six or eight of those a month, helping families around the state. I especially help out when they're trying to sell the property and they find out that the property is actually in mom's name or dad's name and not in mom's or dad's trust. Uh, In a case like that, um, I'm very proud to say that I have actually saved a number of sale escrows from being lost completely because I was able to get together with the family, do the paperwork, and go through the court get the property into the trust where it was supposed to be so that it can then be sold through an escrow and closed, especially of concern if a parent passed away and their residence has a reverse mortgage on it because a reverse mortgage, they expect to be paid pretty much right away. And if you don't pay them, they will start foreclosure. I'm actually talking with uh, someone in the East Bay right now, East Bay here, uh, San Francisco Bay, uh, a realtor faced with that very situation for a new listing, and the title officer discovered that the property was not in the person's trust, so I'm waiting for them to get back to me to start the process to 
get that property into the trust so they can get it sold before a foreclosure happens and the family loses all of the equity in the property. So it's a serious matter. And um, so that would be the question. Make sure you take title in the name of the trust with whoever is the trustee as the one taking the title. John Jones and Jane Jones, trustees of the Jones Family Trust, dated whatever the date happens to be. Here's a question out of Hemet, California. And the family's asking, are we going to need an attorney? And do we have to file this matter in court? The details are this. Mom is in hospice. She didn't leave anyone power of attorney to handle anything for her. She has real estate and a bank account. There are seven children. Can the family appoint someone in the family as mom's agent under a power of attorney to handle what needs to be done? The short answer is very simple. No, the family can't get together and decide who's going to have authority to act on behalf of mom. Just because mom's in hospice, though, don't assume that means that mom is now automatically incapacitated, unable to sign a power of attorney by having it signed and witnessed or signed and notarized, appointing one or more of the children to act on her behalf. If mom's in hospice and is now at end of life and is incapacitated and can no longer sign anything because she lacks the the mental capacity to do so, then the family is going to actually have to go to court to establish a conservatorship with one or more family members named as conservators to handle mom's property and also by extension probably to handle any medical or health care decisions that may need to be made because mom is in hospice now. Now, conservatorship is not necessarily a quick thing. If mom's in hospice, that means she's probably on her way out. This family, by the time they get a conservatorship in place for mom, mom may have already passed away and the conservatorship becomes irrelevant. Instead, what they will be looking at is a probate from mom's real estate and that bank account before it can be passed on to anyone in the family. So this situation this family's in just highlights why you need to do estate planning well in advance of being in a situation where you're terminally ill in hospice. If mom had put her property into a trust, named one or more of the children as successor trustees, did a financial power of attorney, did an advanced health care directive, and maybe a few other things, this question would not need to be asked by this family. So even though there's seven children, they are completely powerless to do anything to handle mom's property unless they go to court because there was no advance planning done in that situation. Now here's a question asking, how should I take title of a home gifted to me uh, in a trust? In California, my dad passed away. In his trust, he gifted his home to me. I am married and would like to transfer the property into the name of me and my spouse. Is there a normal or standard way this should be accomplished? Well, there's a few things floating around in here. Uh, first of all, let's assume, assume that you're uh, the daughter. So you now inherit this. Uh, this house from your dad who died. 
you want to put it in the name of you and your husband. So you and your husband, you can do a deed transferring the title, uh, first of all, out of your dad's trust to you, and then from you to you and your spouse, the transfer from your property to uh, of the trust property to you from your dad makes it your separate property under California law. It's separate from your marriage, but you can transfer it to your spouse and declare as part of the transfer that you intend to have the property transmuted. That's the term, kind of like changing lead into gold, transmuting the property into the community property of you and your spouse. That could be done under Family Code Section 850. I don't recommend you try to do this on your own. I think you're better off going to a family lawyer or an estate planning attorney to prepare this paperwork for you to make sure it's done properly. But the other thing is, if you didn't own real estate before and now you do and you want your spouse to own it, you and your spouse need to think about doing estate planning for yourselves, setting up a trust so that the trust can own that property so the trust can own it as community property as well, which has significant tax benefits down the line when one of you passes away, and so that you have a way to have things handled during your lifetime if you become incapacitated, uh, either through, you know, basically mentally incapacitated where you can't handle things anymore. Uh, So that would be my recommendation there. Don't try to do this on your own. I I see a lot of people doing deeds, and they do it. It's a do-it-yourself thing, and I see so many mistakes made when people do deeds on their own, and they don't really know what kind of language should be in there, what kind of statement should be made, or they leave things out of the deed that should be in there. And sometimes people doing deeds on their own actually create ambiguities in the title of the property that later on may need to be cleared up with court action because the people that created the ambiguities have now died and there's no way for them to go back and fix the problem. So I recommend don't try to do anything like that on your own. we got time for one more quick question before the third break of the show. Someone says, I have five kids How do I leave my house to my kids only? I want to make sure it goes to them. It's just in my name. I've been with my boyfriend, father of my five-year-old, for nine years. Pretty straightforward. Create a revocable living trust. Transfer the title of the house into the trust. Make your children the beneficiaries of that trust. Make sure people you trust are in charge of the property for them. For them, uh, three-year adults, it looks like, two are minors. And that would be that. So do an estate plan, in other words. That would be my recommendation for this person. So we're winding up the third segment of the show. And um, if you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. Otherwise, I'll finish out the show with more questions and comments from around the state of California. But until then, I will talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. 
Hi, welcome back. We're in the final segment of the show today. I'm going to jump right in and uh, go through the last um, questions and comments I have. One, one I think is of particular interest, and I have, I think, maybe some unusual comments to make about it. Um, there's a young man who said he's been living with and caring for his grandfather for the past 11 years. Uh, last two years have been getting worse. Grandpa wants to renew his trust so that I get the house, but he's worried my mom and aunt will fight to take the house from me. He also wants to leave me everything on the property, including his cars. He's wondering how to do so, so they can't take it from me if it's in his living trust, or should he sign over the property to me now and add me to the deed to the house? This is a potentially very, very volatile situation. Um, the the mother and the aunt might very well accuse uh, the son slash nephew of exercising undue influence over his grandfather to induce him to to basically give the grandson what they would think would be their inheritance. Now, apparently, the grandfather has another house in Las Vegas that he's leaving along to his daughters, the mother and the aunt, to split along with all of his cash. So it's not like they're getting nothing. Um, The grandson says, Grandpa just feels since I've been the only one to care for him and drive him around everywhere, including the hospital, that he wants me to get what he feels I deserve. It's also the place where I've raised my kids as well. So it's now it's also the great grandkids home, not just the, the grandson's home. In a case like this, I can think of a few things. Maybe the most direct thing would be maybe the grandfather should, number one, go to an experienced board certified specialist in estate planning trust and probate law wherever he happens to be. This says Hacienda Heights, California. Go to a board-certified specialist estate planning attorney that has a number of years' experience and is well-known in the area and well-known in the court system in the area. That's number one. Number two, have a completely separate living trust prepared that just transfers into that trust that house references his vehicles, and also references all the contents of the house as being owned by that trust, and that names the grandson and possibly the grandson and the grandson's own children as as the beneficiaries of that property, and then completely removes it from the ownership of his original trust. So he leaves the original trust alone, creates a separate standalone trust just to own this property and its contents and his vehicles. Now, one reason to do that is that uh, it shows very clearly shows his intent to have that specifically handled separate from everything else that he owns. Number two, my recommendation in this case would be that even though it's not strictly speaking required by the law, you could have what's called a certificate of independent review done. And this would be where a second attorney, preferably another board certified specialist, interviews grandpa and makes sure that he's doing this. He understands why he's doing it. He's not being unduly influenced by his grandson. 
This person can even take extensive notes as to why he's doing this so that when Grandpa dies, he's got a whole new trust owning this property drafted by an expert that's well-known, and then a second expert interviewed Grandpa separately and signed off on a certificate saying, yes, I interviewed him. There's no undue influence. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the point would be to basically completely, utterly discourage this person's um, two daughters, the, the mother and the aunt, from going after the grandson and trying to take the property away from him. I can tell you, if someone wants to try and go and attack a transfer like that, they're going to run right into two experienced board-certified specialists being involved in the transaction. That's not going to go very far in the courts, I'll tell you that right now. So I've got uh, one more here thing to do. We have a couple minutes left in the show today, so I'm going to cover one more situation. This is one. The parents had a trust. The father died, then the mother died. Four of the children are successor trustees serving collectively. First of all, I don't recommend that. I think it's not a good idea. So house went up for sale. Offer was accepted. But now one of the trustees, one of the four, is refusing to move forward because all of a sudden he thinks we should get more money from the sale. The other seven are in agreement to close the deal. I would say, first of all, if the deal's been accepted, it's a binding contract. Just because one of them says, gee, I'd like to get more, that's not going to work if you refuse to go forward and close the deal. You could end up getting sued for specific performance to force the property to be sold. So in this case, they want to get this trustee out. They may have to go to court. They may have to go ex parte, no formal hearing. Looks like it's in Contra Costa County. So they'd have to do this very, very quickly and see if they can get the person um, removed because it says escrow was supposed to close this week. They're probably in big trouble as it is. But in any event, that's our show for today. Until next week, next Friday, this is attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio. I'll talk with you next week. Goodbye and have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.